0: Preliminary announcements. So that's my fault. It's nobody else's. It's mine. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse number one I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed. Be not conformed. And that's what we've been talking about. This is our third installment on this particular lesson tonight. And as I said, the Lord willing, I'm going to try to finish it up tonight and we're going to move on into more specific things um, as these lessons progress. But uh, tonight we're going to try to wrap this up. Be not conformed. Everyone say be not conformed. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our voices and lift our hands, and let's let's talk to the Lord together right now. Everybody, can we do that? Let's talk to the Lord together. Jesus. God. I God, All right. I God. Lord, we need the touch of the Holy Ghost. I can't do this without your anointing, without your anointing, God. I don't want to try. God, if you'll help. Something from you. God, would you anoint my mind, my heart, my lips tonight? Speak through me, O holy God. Feed the flock of God tonight with your word. Lord, nourish them by the power of your spirit, I pray. We thank you now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Could we praise him one more time before we're seated? Everybody, let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me see if I can hurriedly um, review a few things tonight before we get into uh, the meat of tonight's portion of this lesson. Uh, We've talked about over the last few weeks how that Paul described for us in the book of Romans a battle between the flesh and the spirit and he talked about how that our flesh desires uh, and just naturally is inclined to do the things that are contrary to the will and purpose of God. In fact, he said that the carnal mind is enmity against God, that it is not subject to the law of God, and he said neither indeed can it be subject to God's law. It's not even possible for a carnal mind to submit itself to the law of God. It just won't work. It can't work. Amen. And so it is important that we... Look at what Paul told us to do because we are in this human condition. Uh, we are born this way, which, which um, I know we hear a lot. Well, I was born this way. And, and I understand. But that's why Jesus said you must be born again. How you were born the first time is irrelevant to what you ought to be as a spiritual man. Maybe you were born a certain way. Now, some things that they say they're born that way, I don't believe it. I just don't. But anyhow, I think it's a cop-out for for the most part. But there are some things that we do end up inheriting proclivities, uh, tendencies that, that do seem to be somewhat genetic. and um, and, and I understand that, but... But none of that gives a valid reason for a person to continue down that path because there is a power called the Holy Ghost that can change your natural proclivities, can change your natural tendencies. And we can't throw that out. Amen. We can't just forget about that or overlook that. Now, Paul said, here's what's got to happen. First of all, we've got to make sure we are not being conformed. We don't want to just take on the look, the feel, the thought, the life, the words of this world. I don't want to resemble the world. Not in the way I look, not in the way I think, not in the way I act, not in the way I talk. I don't want there to be any resemblance. Between me and the world. But the only way that's going to happen, Paul went on to say, don't be conformed, but be transformed. And again, that, that word in the Greek uh, is metamorphosis. It, it, is, it is an absolute change of nature where you cease being what you once were and you become something altogether different. That's what happens when you really get a good case of the Holy Ghost. He transforms you. He doesn't just give you this list of guidelines that you got to look this way and you got to act this way and you got to talk. That's not what happens. When the Holy Ghost comes, he changes you. Old things are passed away and all things Are become new. Praise God. Amen. So rather than being conformed, we must be transformed. Now, we talked about last week the three principal forces that oppose the Christians. Uh, We we discussed, um, John said, this is all that's in the world. It's all. It's all the devil's got. Devil's got three tools in his toolbox. That, that's it. That's all there is. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These are the three things that drag a Christian down. And these are the things that we have to learn to conquer. We talked about whether it was the temptation in the garden The devil used those three things or the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. He used the same three things. They may take on a little different wording. They may take on a little different appearance. But when you boil it all down, that's all he's got. And so I'm telling you, if we can conquer the lust of the flesh, conquer the lust of the eyes and conquer the pride of life, we don't have a problem. Now, there should be no fellowship between light and darkness. We talked about this some last week. Uh, God's plan for his people is to take his people uh, out of the world and to take the world out of them. Because there is victory, there is power, there is glory that comes when we live a separated life. I'm telling you, you can trace it down. You can look for yourself. History can become one of the greatest teachers on this principle that I'm, I'm proclaiming to you right now. Go and look at any church that used to preach holiness standards. Look at the kind of move of God they used to have. Even some of them that did not have the fullness of truth with regards to the Godhead and baptism. But they had holiness. Holiness. And as a result of their holiness, there was a power in their service. But when they abandoned holiness, they gave up the power. And now their services are powerless. Because it goes back to what I taught several weeks ago, that the number one characteristic of God is that he's holy. And so when you reject holiness, you're rejecting God. Hallelujah. Amen. And so what has to happen, we have to crucify our flesh. We closed out last week dealing with the Amalekites and how they were a type of the flesh. And and God's answer to the Amalekites was utterly destroy them. Utterly destroy them. Make no provision for the flesh, Paul said. No provision. Make no provision. Don't allow yourself to end up in places that you know you shouldn't be. Don't allow yourself to get close to things that you know are going to have a pull on you. Don't make provision for the flesh. Hallelujah. Crucify the flesh with the lust thereof. So, let's move on. Let's go back to our text tonight. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Let's look at this again.
1: Romans 12 verse 2. Be not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God.
0: Now, now look at this. Be not conformed to this world. I want to tell you, living close to the world is very dangerous. And this is the problem with some Christians. They want to know what's the bare minimum they can get by with. And they want to get just far enough away from the world that they've satisfied whatever requirements are expected. But yet they're close enough. That they still can kind of dabble in it when they want to. I'm going to tell you that we've got to learn to separate ourselves. When we live in close proximity to the world, then the attractions of this world are going to overcome us. We are going to find ourselves drugged down By our evil desires. Our lusts. The human desires of our flesh and of our eyes can become too strong for us. If we're living close to the world. I mean you got to think of the world like a fire. The closer you get to it. The greater the danger of being burned. Right? I've I've never I've I've never understood people who like to live on the edge. And I'm talking not just in the spiritual sense, but I'm talking about, you know, when it comes to a fire, they want to see how close can they get to it and not get burnt. We go up on Pike's Peak, and I see people crawling out on the rocks, and they want to get as close to the drop off as they can. Not me. I'm standing back here saying, yep, looks nice. I've never understood this desire to get as close to the breaking point as possible. It's just too dangerous, church. Let me tell you something. I'm not—I'm not a scientist, not by any stretch of the imagination. And in fact, I had to go back and try to read it again and again just to make sure I had this right. But there's there's, there's a couple of things in uh, Newton's law of universal gravity. Uh, there, there are some things there that that um, as he developed that law, uh, put it into writing, he, he was he was correct on so many fronts, but one part of that um, states that that two objects attract each other inversely proportional to the square of the distance between their centers um, I'm sure everybody understood that. They affect each other inversely, um, proportional to the square of the distance between their sinners. Let me put it in, in common language for you. The closer two objects are, the greater the attraction. The further away they are, the weaker the pull. Hallelujah. That's a part of the law of gravity. And and we we see that even in the the rotation of, of the moon. The closer it gets to the earth, the stronger the pull. The more it affects the waves. It affects all kinds of things as it gets closer to the earth. When it's further away, then it doesn't have the effect. And I'm telling you, this is... The problem with many Christians, they are way too close to the world. And the closer you live to it, the more it's going to pull at you. But the further you can get from it, the less you are attracted to it. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is is not difficult to figure out. It's just difficult to get some folks to put it into practice. I've told this story before, but it it fits here. And for the sake of those who haven't heard it, I I, I read some years ago about a man way back again. I told a story a few weeks ago about the horse and buggy days. We go back to those days again for this second story. But but, uh, there was a man that was looking for someone to drive uh, the, the, uh, the coach that was going to carry his family uh, over some mountain passes. And so he did everything he could to advertise. And, and, and he, as he got a, a list of candidates together, he took them up onto a very narrow mountain pass. And he said, I want to make sure you've got control of this thing at all times. And he said, I want to see how close can you get to the edge and still have control of this coach. And so one by one, they got up uh, onto that, that seat and 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 prodded the horses on and and I mean they would get as close as they felt comfortable sometimes the edge of the coach hanging off the side, but the wheels still on the cliff and and I mean they're doing their best to show this man he's going to pay them very well. He was a very wealthy man and and they wanted this job and and so they were getting as close as they could. Finally, one young man got up there and and uh, he he got up there and he took those horses and He scooted all the way over against the other side where the mountain was, and and there's a big distance over there, and the other guys are sitting back laughing at him. You know, he's a scaredy cat, whatever. He'll never get the job. When he got through, the man said, you're hired. He said, I'm going to tell you, I don't want you playing around with the cargo that I'm taking over. I'm talking about transporting my family over these passes, and I don't want you. Seeing how well you can hang over the sides. I want to know that you respect that cliff. Well, hallelujah. And I'm telling you, this is the way it ought to be in our lives. I don't want to get close to the cliff so I can show everybody. I had a man many, many years ago, different city, different state, different area of the country. But, um, he had been in prison and uh, he was, he was in prison in another city and a man that had a prison ministry going on called me and told me, he said, man he said, I prayed this guy through. I baptized him here in prison. He said, he is going to make you the best saint you've ever seen. He said, he is so on fire for God and, and he's, he's from your city and he's getting out. He's coming there. He said, just get ready. He He's really going to be a, a blessing to you and your church. Well, I'll, be glad to have a blessing. Glad to have the best saint I've ever had. I got no complaints. I don't care what his history is. But, but I soon found out that the man who called me was just a little bit uh, optimistic. Because the man got out of prison. I think he'd only come to maybe two services When he came up to me, he said, well, preacher, he said, I just wanted you to know I went to the bar last night. I said, you did what? He said, I went to the bar. He said, I wanted to see just how strong this Holy Ghost was. He said, so I went to the bar and he said, would you believe I didn't drink anything but soft drinks? I said, don't ever do that again. Why? Why? I said, because you don't want to be in that environment. You don't want to put yourself back into that situation. Oh, but the Holy Ghost kept me. Yeah. So you know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. It wasn't long until the Holy Ghost wasn't keeping him quite so well anymore. And it wasn't just soft drinks he was ordering. You understand? You can't... Get close to the world and just expect God to protect you while you're driving with one wheel off the cliff. Get away from the cliff. If you've got problems with alcohol, don't go to the bar. And, and, And this is true for so many things. Listen to me. Sometimes. Sometimes you have to make new friends. If you're going to live for God, you just have to make new friends. Listen, saints of God, this is something even some of you that have been in the church for a long time need to learn. I don't care how much of a quote unquote friend some people have been. When they start dragging you down spiritually, it's time to end that friendship. When they're having a bigger impact on you than you are on them, it's time to break it off. Every time you get around them, you hear negative. Every time you get around them, it's, it's, it's whatever. I'm telling you, don't spend your time with them. Well, I'll hurt their feelings. Well, what's better, hurting their feelings or losing your soul? What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lost his own soul? So let me ask you, what does it profit you to maintain a friendship but lose your soul in the process? There are just times you've got to end friendships. Look, Jesus said that because, he said, he said, some of you think I came to bring peace into this world. I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. Now, he came to bring peace to us individually. But he didn't come to bring peace in the world. He said, I'm telling you, because of me, the, the members of a household are going to be at odds against each other. That's what he said. He said, the children are going to be against the parents, the parents against the children. He said, I'm telling you, because of me, there's going to be a lot of strife. I know that's contrary to the way we like to look at things, but I'm just telling you, Jesus warned us. There are some relationships that just have to end. I, boy, I feel like working on this for a little while. I really intend to try to finish this lesson, but I'm just feeling something, Brother Hilton. I'm feeling something. You come to church and get a good blessing. Blessing. And the Lord touches you. And then you go out and talk to your friends. And all of a sudden you're discouraged and you're down. I'm telling you it's time to get a new friend. It's time for you to break that relationship. Let them go. If they ask you why, tell them. Be honest with them. You're dragging me down spiritually. My soul is too important. Oh, I wish somebody would listen to me. I'm telling you, I feel this so strong tonight. I did not intend, this is nowhere in my notes. I didn't intend to say this, but I sure feel it in the Holy Ghost right now. There are just some people that just drag you down. And you say, I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to help them. But hear what I'm telling you. If they are having a bigger effect on you than you are on them, stop trying. God is the only one that's incorruptible. God's the only one that can put holiness onto something that's unholy. But for us, the unholy contaminates the holy. So you know what's got to happen? But that's my friend, but I care about them. I understand that, and I don't want you to quit caring. But I'm gonna tell you, you better give it over to somebody that can affect them if you're not. Put it in the hands of God. I, I just, I feel like I'm not getting through to somebody tonight. I feel like I'm not getting through to somebody tonight. That the Lord's trying to tell you, somebody is playing with fire. Somebody has some connections that are absolutely destroying your spirit. They are ruining your attitude. They are dragging you down spiritually. And you just keep going back for more. And I'm trying to help you tonight. I'm not trying to be mean and ugly about it. I'm trying to help you. I'm telling you, if they are a drain on your spirit, it's time to make a break. It's time to leave them alone. Put them in God's hands. Pray for them. Pray for them several times a day if you've got to. But don't put your own soul in jeopardy. It's not worth it for you to lose your soul. You're not saving them if you lose your soul. You're both going to be lost. It's exactly right, Brother Chad. It's the blind leading the blind because you're not leading them. If they're dragging you down, they're the ones doing the leading. And Jesus told us where that's going to take us to. When the blind leads the blind. They both end up in the ditch. You know, um, preacher's wife called a preacher one time because he was the man that had prayed her through to the Holy Ghost and, and she had such utmost respect, but she watched as this man was dabbling in the things of the world and, and letting down the standards he had always held. And she, she called him to, to plead with him through tears and say, I don't understand. The things that, that you put in me, the things, the, the impact you had on my life, you're throwing it all away. And, and he said, well, sister, let me just explain that, you know, if you're going to get somebody out of the ditch, you've got to get in the ditch with them. I said, no, no, that's, that's wrong. You don't get down in the, in fact, this is not just a ditch. When we're dealing with sin, we're dealing with Quicksand. It's not just a ditch where there's solid footing down there. It's quicksand. And you're not going to pull somebody out of quicksand by getting into it with them. You're going to have to stay on solid ground yourself. You're going to have to have solid footing. And I'm telling you, in the moment that they start pulling you into that, it's time to let go. As much as you may want them out, you may have to realize you're not the one that's going to get them out. Oh, God help me tonight. I wish I, could, I wish I could get through this. But I feel this so I really feel like I am pulling for somebody's salvation tonight. I'm trying to help somebody. God's trying to get you to wake up and understand those people are not helping you. messing with your mind. They're destroying your attitude. They are dragging your spirit into the muck and the mire that they're wallowing in. And you're, 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 you're leaving a good, clean, godly atmosphere where the spirit of God touches you and then you're going out and getting covered in their mud. Hoping to clean them up. It just doesn't work that way. I plead with you tonight. I'm appealing to whomever it is that I am am speaking to tonight. Please hear me tonight. Please understand. It's not worth losing your soul. And that's what's happening. Oh, God, I've got to try to move on. I've got to try to move on. You know, one of the things that we, when, when, when the scripture deals with be not conformed, be not conformed, one of the things that comes into play here is peer pressure. There is peer pressure. Even among adults, there's peer pressure. There's peer pressure. You get out there on the job. And you're in a, you're in an environment where there's sinners. I'm telling you, the pressure is on for you to conform. You know, it used to be that there was there was um, a degree of of um, honor and respect people didn't just throw out filthy language and tell uh, off-color stories, and you know, and 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 um, I mean. It, I know they've always done it, but I'm saying it used to be if somebody even said a bad word, they just, you know, that I can remember when they said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Not anymore. Now, now nobody cares. It's, it's all just part of language. And unfortunately, and I'm going to have to teach the lesson, I'm sure at some point along the way. Unfortunately, some of that language bleeds into the church. Maybe not the direct cuss words, but we got our own Pentecostal cuss words—we really do. We got our own little terms that we throw out that mean the same thing. And and uh, but but the world has gotten to a place they've lost the ability to blush. They don't get embarrassed at anything anymore. Nothing is embarrassing. There are no subjects that are taboo. There there are no conversations that they feel like have to be kept private anymore. And so I'm telling you, you get out there and the pressure is on to laugh at their stories, to go along with their filthiness, to try to blend in. You don't want to stand out, you know. I wouldn't want to, Stick out like a sore thumb. Well, I'm going to tell you, the closer we get to the Lord's return, the more you're probably going to stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, it's already the case, you know, we're not dyeing our hair purple and hanging rings all over everywhere. and, And that's the way the world is. Tattoos and all this other—you know—it's just we're getting to where we're standing out more and more all the time. And and really, I mean, it used to be—it used to be that that separation affected the women more than it did the men. For for many years, there just wasn't a whole lot of difference between the way a sinner man looked and the way a Spiritual man looked. I mean, for many years, there was just a sense, at least here in America, of the way we to Of course, it was that way for women, too, for a long time. Go back when you get a chance and look at, for example, um, I remember Elder Westberg talking about on his desk in his office, he had a picture of Bonnie and Clyde. But he had it there for a reason. Because you go back and look at at Bonnie and you see her long sleeves, her high neckline, her long skirt and here she was, one of the most vicious, vile women alive at that time. But to just look at her, there just wasn't a whole lot of difference in the way she looked and the way apostolic women looked. And all that changed. But even after that changed for men, hair was kept short. You know, things just, they looked the same. And Now all of that's changing. But I'm going to tell you, we are not to be conformed to this world. I don't care about the peer pressure that we face. God doesn't change. Listen, I've said it before, and I know that it's, it, it's, it's, it's pretty elementary, but the fact of the matter is God is not shocked that we are coming to the end of 2018. God's not surprised by this. And when he put that book into place, he put it into place knowing we'd still be here in 2018. And he doesn't change. And so if standards change, it wasn't God that changed them. I don't care what the peer pressure is. And now, now it's not just the world putting pressure on us. Now, other quote unquote apostolics are trying to put peer pressure on those that are living a separated life. I'm telling you, this is one of the big, big dangers of social media. Because I've watched it over and over and over. You let somebody get carnal, the first thing they're going to do is get on Facebook and post the pictures of how they look now that they're free. You know why they're doing that? To put pressure on you. To try to get you to conform. They'll tell you how happy they are and how wonderful this is to not be bound by all that legalism anymore. And the peer pressure is there. I'm listening, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, church, we got to forget about who does what, who allows what. The apostle put it this way. When you try to compare yourselves among yourselves, you are not wise. Do you know the church down the road is not the standard I'm striving for? Whatever they allow or don't allow has no bearing on me. They are not my goal. They're not my pattern. He is my pattern. His word is my pattern. And his word doesn't change. I mean, look, I go to Africa and I preach to these guys and I tell them I don't care if 100% of the world believes something that's against the scripture. It's wrong and God's right. And listen to me, that's just as true when it comes to separation from the world. I don't care if 100% of the so-called apostolic churches are letting down on a particular standard. That doesn't make it right. Let God be true. And every man a liar. And I mean that verse literally means... If it's 100% of the world against God, then they're wrong. He's right. That's what it means. Let God be true and every man a liar. It's going to cost us something to be a Christian. I've said it before. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to take up your cross. There's nothing convenient about a cross. There's nothing comfortable about a cross. But we want comfortable Christianity. We want convenient Christianity. No. It's going to cost you to be his disciple. You have to just face the fact it cost him. And now this is your reasonable service. Isn't that what we read? This is your reasonable service after what he gave for you. What does it matter if the world laughs at us? What does it matter if they make fun of us? What does it matter if they ridicule us? It's our reasonable service to live the way he wants us to live. To not be conformed. Read it again. Romans
1: 12 verse 2. Read it again and be not, be not conformed to this world, to this world but, but, but be, ye be transformed, transformed by the renewing, by of, the your renewing mind. of your mind so that you, that you prove,
0: can prove what is that good, is that good acceptable and acceptable and perfect, and perfect will, will of God. God. He said look if you want to do the will of God in your life it requires a transformation. You're never going to do it by simple conforming but if you want to do the will of God you're going to have to be transformed. You're going to have to let God get a hold of your heart your mind your spirit in fact he specifically mentions the renewing of your mind do you understand what he's saying there you got to get a new thought process you say well this doesn't make sense to me well i'm going to tell you something it's not going to make sense if you've got a carnal mind it's not going to make sense if you've got a carnal mind but you know it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not if God said it. Brother Hilton, how much sense did it make for Elisha to say, this time tomorrow, I know you're you're eating dove's dung and donkey's heads and even resorting to cannibalism, but by this time tomorrow, wheat's gonna be plentiful. You're gonna have everything you want and the price is not gonna be very bad. How much sense does that make None. but was God right? Absolutely He was right. How much sense did it make when the storm has been lashing the ship for, for literally for two weeks, and the thing is about to come apart? How much sense does it make when Paul stood on the ship and said, "Don't leave this boat." No, no, no. Seasoned sailors are already getting the lifeboats ready. They've dealt with storms. They know how. It doesn't make sense to stay on the ship. But it doesn't matter what makes sense, it matters what God says. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody get a hold of this tonight. It doesn't have to add up in your mind. If God said it, you just do it. Amen, amen, amen. Now they did. They, they just let the lifeboats go. And you know what happened? They ended up in the water, fighting for their life, hanging on to boards and planks, trying to swim to shore. But the man of God said, the angel of the Lord stood by me this night, and this was God's instruction. Don't leave this ship. So I'm telling you, even when the ship broke apart, they're grabbing parts of it and hanging on. And you know what happened? The man of God said, if you'll stay with this ship, you'll live. And they did. I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense. But God doesn't make sense to the human mind. Oh, hallelujah. I'm te- we got to stop all this stuff where we got to figure it out and we got to understand it. And I, the only way I'm going to do it is if, if I can see it in black and white. But well, I'm going to tell you, there's no black and white for Paul to show him that night. There was no black and white for Elisha to show him that night. We could go on and on and on. How much sense did it make for Daniel to go right back to praying three times a day when the law clearly said, you do and you die? How much sense does that make? did not matter how much sense it made. God said it. Now that's God's problem. I just do what God says and then it's his problem. Well, yes. hallelujah. I just do what God tells me to do. And I let God sort it all out in the end. Yes. Yes. Oh, hallelujah. Because you know what? God's a good... What, what word did you use? Not an usherer. God's a good sorter-outer. How's that? God's a good sorter-outer. God knows how to do this. Yes, sir. Yes. He's got a perfect record. No mistakes. You got that? He's never made a mistake. So if he said, don't do this, then you know what? Let's just not do it. But everybody else is, doesn't matter. God said, do this. Well, nobody else is doing that. Doesn't matter. I know what God said. So I'm just going to do what? God said to do. I'm not going to be conformed to this world. I am going to let God change my way of thinking. My way of thinking. Listen, his thoughts are far above ours. In fact, he said, as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, saith the Lord. You know what? Listen to me, church. I am so glad that I can't figure God out. I know sometimes it gets frustrating. I'll be honest. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you're thinking, God, what in this world are you doing? But listen to me. If we could figure God out, that would mean we were smarter than God is. and I don't want to serve a God that's less intelligent than I am because I know the kind of mistakes I've made. You may not ever have made any, but I've made some. And I've made some whoppers of mistakes. In fact, double whoppers with cheese. (laughs) I'm t- I've am i made some big mistakes in my life and I don't want to serve a God that's less intelligent than I am. Right. And if he's more intelligent than me and if his thoughts are as far above mine as the heavens are the earth, then what that means is there's going to be a lot of times, brother Chad, I can't figure God out. I have no idea what he's doing. I'm glad about it. Because that just means he's smarter than I am. He's wiser than I am. So I'm going to let him figure all this out. Well, hey, how much sense does it make when here we are trying to pay off a credit card bill that we didn't... and incur, but we're trying our best to pay it off and now here I am talking to the church that we're going to be spending thousands on a seminar how much sense does it make? I don't know probably doesn't make any at all except for this one thing I feel like that's what God said do all right. All right, amen. and God knows all the details and God knows everything we're struggling with and God has seen all of this far better than what we do God may send somebody tomorrow to go drop a large offering in the plate and we just pay everything off. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how, but this is his problem, not mine. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, we got to quit trying to think the way the world thinks. He said, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. How are we going to be transformed? Well, I'm going to tell you where it's going to start. You're going to have to have your mind renewed. You can't keep thinking the way you've always thought. And expect to arrive at God's conclusions. Well, hallelujah. So we get on the job. and The only way we're going to keep our job, we're going to have to lie about something that happened. What do we do? Well, I can't lose my job. Well, I'll tell you what ought to be stronger in your heart and mind than I can't lose my job. It ought to be, I can't sin against God. If it costs me my job, I've got to tell the truth. I got to be honest. Cause who's the father of lies? Who is the father of lies? So you wanna babysit the devil's kids? I know some of you think you have before. It's like, it's like that man that he was always coming home drunk and his wife couldn't get him to change and so she finally hired somebody to put, a, put on a devil suit and uh, said if the devil comes knocking at the door, maybe it'll scare him enough that he realizes, man, I'm headed for hell, I got to change. So the devil comes knocking at his door, the guy in the devil suit knocking at his door. The drunkard stum- stumbles to the door and opens it up man says, I'm the devil. I'm here to get you. He said, well, come on in. I'm married to your sister. (laughs) Some of you think you've babysat the devil's kids before. I'm going to tell you, that's what you're doing when you're entertaining lies. The Bible says the devil is the father of all lies. All lies. White lies, gray lies. Whatever color lie you want to tell, he's the father of all of them. And so when you get into that realm of untruth, you're entertaining that which belongs to the devil. It's one of the reasons why we ought to be more careful with gossip. Because if it's not true, we're babysitting the devil's kids. If it's not true, we're handling property that is owned by hell. Oh, Jesus, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. We, we, as Christians, this this pressure to conform, you know, show up at some worldly party, Go go to some activity where we know we wouldn't invite Jesus, but I'm going to be a light while I'm there. No, you're not. Your light goes out the minute you walk through the door. I'm just telling you the truth. You you, you can't live that way. You're going to be careful about what you look at, what you listen to, what you read, who you hang around with. Because now your, your thoughts have been renewed. Your mind has been renewed. And now you're thinking thoughts the way God wants you to think them. That's what transformation does. Romans chapter 8 verses 5 and 6. I've got to hurry. I've, Lord, I've still got so far to go. How is it? I thought I'd finish all this. Romans 8 verses 5 and 6. And now my... Somebody needs to, I think I need to take this Apple watch in for repair. It just gave me a, a message telling me, it's time to stand. <laughs> Lord, if I stand any more than what I have been, I, uh, help us. Where are we at? Romans chapter,
1: yeah, whatever, read. For they, that, uh, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally, for to minded, be carnally death, minded
0: is death.
1: But to but be, to spiritually, be minded, spiritually minded is life, is life
0: and peace. I'm going to tell you where this peace comes in. The peace comes in in just simply knowing I'm doing what's pleasing to God. And because I'm doing what's pleasing to God, just like he kept Daniel in the lion's den, just like he kept the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace, he's going to keep me. If I'm doing what's pleasing to him, he's going to keep me. He's going to see me through it. And so I have peace if I'm spiritually minded. Praise God. But when I'm carnally minded, then the pull of the world is so much stronger and I want to try to conform to them. Oh. Now, uh, I, think, I think some of this I can just I, I really want to finish this tonight and yet I've got so far to go. Um, the Bible's very clear that if any man loves the world the love of the Father is not in him. That's, that's a clear statement. We went through that last week but but let me give you the other side of this coin, all right? How many of you know, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him? How many of you know that? You know that to be true? Isn't that what the Bible said? If any man loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. And yet, what does John 3.16 say? For God
1: so loved the world.
0: Wait a minute. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father's not in him. But God loved the world. How do we reconcile that?
1: I'll tell you how. Keep reading. That he gave his only begotten son. God
0: loved the world for what he could give the world. If we love the world for what the world can give us, then the love of the Father is not in us. Do you understand the difference? If our love for the world is for what we can get, that's not God's love. But if we love those that are in the world to the degree that we want to give for them, then the love of God is in us. There's the difference. In fact, uh, what's next on the list? 1 John 3.16? Read, read.
1: Hereby perceive we the love of God. This is how
0: we perceive the love of God.
1: Because he laid because down his life for us. Because he laid
0: down his life for the world,
1: and, and we ought to lay and down our lives. We for ought the to brother. lay down our lives
0: for the brethren. Listen, this is how we ought to love the world—not for what we can get out of it, but for what we can give to it. I've got something this world is looking for. I've got something this world is longing for. This world is hungry for what I possess. I want to give it to them, Brother Hilton. I want to give them everything I've got. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to give them everything I've got to see them saved. God's love for the lost of this world ought to stir us and move us to dedicate ourselves to reach the unsaved. Whatever it takes, we ought to want to win them. We ought to be willing to give of our time, of our talent, of our treasure to reach this world. We ought to be willing to lay our lives On the line. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. I'm trying to skim over this. Give me just a few more minutes here. And so as strong as I'm preaching to you, do not be conformed. As much as I'm telling you we got to be separate from the world, I do want you to understand. I'm trying to bring some balance before I close tonight. But I do want you to understand there's a difference between separation and isolation. We are to be separated from the world, but not isolated from the world. Matthew 5 and 13 explains what our role
1: is. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men.
0: This This is what Jesus said. Our role on this earth Is to be salt. We are here. To add something to this world. That it does not have on it's own. But in the day that we're not having that effect on the world. We've lost our purpose. He said it's good for nothing. It's good for nothing. If it's not doing the job that it's created to do, then it's good for nothing. Except to be cast out and trodden underfoot. And so our goal, our purpose, is to exert an influence for good. I'm going to tell you the way it ought to be. Sinners should not be coming to us to take us to their worldly entertainment. But they should come to us... When their hearts are broken, when they need a confidant, when they need somebody to pray for them, they ought to be able to see in us, here's somebody that can touch God on my behalf. Not here's somebody that'll go enjoy filthy pleasures with me, but here's somebody that'll help me when I'm in trouble. They are salt They provide that missing ingredient in my life. Our lives should be so consistent that a sinner's confidence in us is never broken. Did you hear what I said? We ought to be so consistent. So consistent that A sinner's confidence in us is never broken. I heard a preacher's wife tell one time about being at an airport by herself. And um, she said it was just really strange. She said, I never deal with these things. I never feel these kinds of temptations. But she said, this particular time, I'm at an airport by myself. And she said, I'd gone into one of these magazine shops or whatever. And she said, I'm walking by and I see this magazine and it's very clear in my peripheral vision that what's on the cover of that magazine is totally ungodly and she said there was a voice that was telling me you know you could look at this there's nobody around she said I don't ever battle with that I don't ever deal with that but she said I here I am with these these feelings that you know what's it going to hurt pick up the magazine look at it see she said No, I'm not going to do that and I forget, there was two or three things along the way, and I think the final one was, was they had little booths set up at this particular airport where you could put, I know now they've got big screens everywhere in the airport, but then she said that there were little, like, desks that you could sit down and you put a few dollars in, and, and you had a television there, and you could just watch it. And she said, I, I thought, she said, the thought came to me, said, what's it going to hurt? Nobody here knows you. Nobody knows anything about you. What's it going to hurt? And she said, I'm thinking, where is all this stuff coming from? And she said, I I said, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I don't care if nobody here knows who I am. God knows. And I'm going to do what's right. And she said, so I went over and I found some place to sit by myself. And she said, a little while, I think it was some man walked up to her and he said, I want to ask you something. He said, are you, are you apostolic? She said, yes, sir, I am. He said, I knew it. He said, I've been watching you. I'm a backslider, and I need God. But he said, I've been watching you, and I've watched as you've passed by all the ungodly allurements. And I said, that woman can help me find God again. I'm gonna tell you, what what would have happened had she given in? That man's confidence in her would have been broken. I'm saying to you, saints of God, we need to walk uprightly at all times, we need to be careful in the way we present ourselves, we don't want people to lose their trust in us. We're human enough. We've got enough mistakes, but there are some things we can avoid. (sighs) Hallelujah. I've I've, got to hurry. I'm trying to just... Some highlights here and close. In fact, come to the music if you would. I, I'm, I'm going to try to just skim over these last few things. And Jesus made it very clear that we cannot straddle the fence when it comes to serving him. We, we can't be pulled in two directions. Listen to what he said in Matthew 12,
1: verse 30. He that is not with me is against me and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad.
0: Now, did you get that? This is Matthew 12 and 30. This is I've skipped over several verses here, brother Jerome. It's, um, it's down there on the list somewhere, but uh, Matthew 12 and 30. He that is not with me is against me. Well, that's strong. Jesus said there's no neutral ground. If you're not with me, you are against me. And if you're not gathering with me, then you're scattering. There's no neutral ground here. You've got to make a decision which side you're going to stand on. When we align ourselves with a worldly system, we really are guilty of spiritual adultery. Because He is
1: our bridegroom. James 4 and 4 tells us this. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Now do you see, he called them adulterers and adulteresses.
0: He's not talking about in the physical sense because he goes on to address what's the problem here.
1: Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Yeah, He said when you start befriending the
0: world, you You've committed adultery. I'm supp- He said that to Israel time and time and time again in the Old Testament. And it's true in the New Testament. We have to make up our minds. We are going to turn our backs on the things of this world. Because if we don't, will eventually turn our back on God himself. Very last scripture the last one on the list. Luke 9.62.
1: I'll use this to close. Luke 9.62 Jesus said this. Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now he didn't say they can never be fit.
0: because There are those that put their hand to the plow and look back and some point, they come to themselves and they come back to God. Thank God. But he's saying at that moment, when you're looking back at the world, when you are gazing longingly at the world. In fact, we skipped over one of the shortest scriptures in the New Testament and yet one of the most powerful. But Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. What did Lot's wife do? She looked back. She looked back. I submit to you, I, I believe it was more than just looking at Sodom. I believe there was a longing for Sodom. I don't think she just cast her eyes in that direction and God judged her. I I believe that it was her heart that was there. And her eyes were just following her heart. Lot got his wife out of Sodom, but he never got Sodom out of his wife. Same thing's true of his daughters. He got his daughters out of Sodom, but he never got Sodom out of his daughters. And therein lies the conundrum for every one of us. It's not enough that God called us out of the world. Somehow we've got to let God take the world out of us. Because if we don't, we will end up back there if we don't get it out of our heart. If we don't get it out of our heart. Let's stand tonight. I don't want to be conformed to this world. I want God to transform me. Is that the way you feel tonight? Would you lift your hands? Would you talk to the Lord right where you're at right now? God, I want you to transform me. I want you to take any love for this world out of my heart. I want you to remove it from me. I don't want you just getting me out of the world. I want you to get the world out of me. I want you to change my life. I want you to transform my mind create in me a clean heart renew a right spirit within me god lord jesus replace this old carnal mind that i have and put in its place a spiritual mind i want that mind to be in me that was also in christ jesus come on let's reach out to the lord let's reach out to the lord Why don't we gather around the front tonight, let's come stand